Well, good evening and Merry Christmas. It's good to see you. If you have a Bible or iPhone or a smartphone, John chapter 3, verse 16. John chapter 3, verse 16. You probably noticed when you came in, there's lighters, so we'll all be lighting our own, own candles tonight. So if you haven't had an opportunity to get a, a lighter, there, there should be some in the middle basket there. Okay. For God so loved the world... That he gave his one and only son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Let's pray. God and Father, all year long you've been so good to us. And on this night before Christmas, as your word is set before us, to the praise of your glory win every heart help me in my weakness in order that every person here now and out there watching in your world has an overwhelming certainty an irresistible felt secure sense that you love them and in the giving of your son you love them best for Jesus' sake, we ask this. Amen. Well, I know this is a well-known verse. There's always a bit of danger in that. It is a summary of the gospel. And I chose this verse for Christmas Eve for, for many reasons. And here are just some. One, I don't need to tell you that it's been a difficult year for the world. It's been difficult for parents and kids, and students, and teachers, and doctors, and nurses, and employers, and employees, those pregnant, sick, all the lonely people, our older citizens, the poor, those who have known loss, and those who are weak, those who govern over us, and those in any form of leadership at all, for just about everybody this year in some way has been hard. It's been disheartening. And sad, we have all done things we have never done before, and we have all had to think about things that we've never had to think about before. Because of this, if a person doesn't know know God, they could surround this verse with skepticism. God, what God? He doesn't exist, because if he did exist, how in the world could we believe after this year that he loves the world? So I want us all to know exactly why God loves the world tonight. That's the first reason. The second reason I chose this text is even though it's been a difficult year for the world, the world has always been a dark place. That's Jesus. John chapter 3 verse 19. This is the verdict. People love darkness. And yet God loves this dark world. So, so let's just be honest. We as humans, we can easily love parts of the world. But the whole world... I mean, the temptation for us is the people we like, we love. The people we don't, we won't. The people who believe like us, we love. Those who don't, we, we just can't. 
And that is what makes God so infinitely different than us. Love, love, loved ones, when we see a person, the temptation nowadays is just to see them, uh, that, that person as identical with their belief. Okay, so what they believe is the only thing that we think about them when we see them. What, what, uh, what tribe, if you would, or social tribe they're in. Therefore, we are tempted to not see them as human beings made in the image of God. People who are loved by God. A truth which we can never violate. But we see them now as either conservative or liberal. Attractive, unattractive, rich or poor. Mask, no mask. Defund, don't defund. Open up, close up. Virus is really bad. Virus is just like the flu. And on and on and on. But not God. God so loved the whole world. A world which loves darkness. Indeed, the text shows us that God sends his son to suffer for it. Meaning the Christmas story is not a story about power or revenge. It's the opposite. It's a story of weakness and love. It's, it's the son of God just laying it all out there and emptying himself. A slave to death. Son of God dies at the hands of his enemies. A savior enters the human race. Not to be a hero, but to show us how we, the entire human race, although we love darkness, how valuable we are in his sight. So what this verse tells me is that in God's love that there is precise value to everyone and we dare not minimize people who, who are different because of their beliefs. That's the second reason. The third reason why I chose this verse is I want this verse to come to you in some sense in the force of electric shock. To, to, to know you are loved by God this way is the greatest force in the entire universe. They're, they're, this is a relationship which is, if you would, calculated to, to thrill a person's heart. So it doesn't really matter how many times you've heard John 3.16, 10,000 times, or it could be for the first time. If you think this verse through, and if you think yourself through, and you're honest, how can you not be stunned? So I told my wife two weeks ago, because I was thinking her through, and I was thinking myself through. And, and when I think myself through, that can be disappointing and, and, and disturbing. But anyway, I said to her two weeks ago, when I see you, it feels like electricity just shooting through my body. And I meant it. It's, it's biblical, Proverbs 5.20, be intoxicated by the wife of your youth. Intoxication, electricity, it's the same to me. I'm still stunned that she loves me. Because, you know, she knows just about everything about me. But God, God knows everything about me. And you see, the third reason why I chose this text is John 3.16 is not entry-level Christianity. No way. Mature Christians realize more and more how dependent we are on this love of God and the grace of God sending in Son into this world to bleed out on a cross. This text is meat. It's meat. And we make it our boast. And so this verse tells me about the God that we desperately need. All right, so that's just some of the reasons. Now, now if you look at the verse, it's, it's one straightforward truth. It's clear. The love of God is in the gift of his son 
giving us the responsibility either to receive it or reject it. And on a night like this, I mean, it's not terribly difficult to think about gifts and receiving them. Gifts are good. It's going to be a great morning, thank God, in our house tomorrow. Jesus said, parents know how to give good gifts to their children. James said, every good and perfect gift is from God. And if you think about it, true giving is motivated then by not obligation, but by affection. That's a true gift. Affection, not obligation. And so the first thing we see as we think about this text is that God is under no obligation at all to give anything. Now, that could be fairly easy to some, or it might be kind of like first time you've heard that. But the reality is God, who needs nothing, was under no obligation to do anything at all. Therefore, the wonder of it all, the shock of it all, is that he who was under no obligation, we're told, so loved. And the idea of so love means the extent or the, the degree of God's love. So there is a Greek word for so. So is not like a, a, a throwaway word. John is saying that the love of God is so spectacular that, that it is shocking as you think it all through. Later on, this, this same John will say, this is love, not that we love God, but that he loves us and gave his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. So that's the first thing we should take note of in our Christmas Eve text, that God, who is eternal and holy in a moment in time, reveals his love and defines his love specifically. Second, okay, what is the object of God's love? Well, can you believe it? God so loved the world. Now, now just think about that for a moment. The world, that's you and that's me and everyone else. So let's be honest. It's hard for humans to love the whole world. It can be even hard for Christians. I mean, just check out social media, right? Or the comment section behind those online articles. I, I asked my son this week, and I love him, and I said, do you read those comments? And he's like me. He goes, no, I hate reading them. I'm like, right? Because people are really mean. I mean, they say anything. So, so we can critique the world very easily. We could condemn the world very easily. We can think, man, if I was in charge of things, if I was in charge of the world, woo-wee, let me out the world. But love the whole world like God, giving, sacrificing, emptying. Still tonight, you should know God loves you and God loves everyone else. He loves human beings from every place and every race. Right now, he's feeding them, he's caring, he's keeping the world going. One of my favorite texts in Luke 6, he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. You see, only in the gospel, well, listen carefully, only in the gospel do we find any sense at all that the main problem of the world is not solved by the world loving each other, but by God loving the world so much that he goes down into that dark world and rescues humanity from its death wish. So, so loving each other would be nice. But it just wouldn't be enough. Listen to John Calvin. He was thinking about the first book of the Bible, Genesis. And he was reflecting on humanity. He says, he, God, made them, men and women, in his own image. And humanity, like a mirror, reflected God's glory. It was a work of art, beautiful, pristine. But sin... 
has distorted and blurred that image. So if you've ever been into like an antique store or a secondhand store, every once in a while you'll see those really, really old mirrors. And the really old ones are pretty blurry and you just can't make yourself completely out. And that is a picture of humanity tonight. God made us humans good in the garden, but as a result of our rebellion, the image of God is blurred. But it doesn't stop God from loving the world. I have a song, kids, you'll like this. I have a song on my playlist. Nobody wants a broken toy. But God does. He absolutely loves broken things. And in His Son... He looks down on this blurred humanity. He looks down on a world hardened by sin, fueled by hatred, exposed to his judgment that is in need of salvation. And still this world is is the object of his love. He knows our need. To our weakness, he's no stranger. When I was a kid, I I learned this song in Bible class. Wide, wide is the ocean. High is the heavens above. Deep, deep as the deepest sea is my Savior's love. And then listen to the next line. This line is like shocking to me. I, though so unworthy, still am a child of his care. For his word teaches me that his love reaches me everywhere. Now, There might be people here, maybe out there, that when you hear this, you think something like, listen, God loves you only if you are worthy of his love. So you got to do right, and then the love comes down. Or God loves you if you do things to make him happy, and the more you do, the more he'll love. Or God loves you, you know, if you are just a diehard religious person who's always trying your hardest, and the harder you try, he's just so pleased. Or God loves you because you are conservative. Or God loves you because you are liberal. Towing the line. But God couldn't love you and God wouldn't love you and won't love you if you are a messed up, wretched sinner. Now I want you to listen to me. I want you to listen to this messed up, wretched sinner. This text says... Nothing could be further from the truth. I, though so unworthy, still am a child of his care. For his word teaches me that his love reaches me everywhere. And it reaches everyone else. So you understand why the gospel is called good news. The only person who would be fighting any of this is the one who just cannot admit the depths of their sin. And all that does is reveal the heights of God's love. God so loved the world that he, thirdly, he gave his son. You see it there? The gift of his son. This is the Bible. He who did not spare his own son, but gave gave himself up for us all. Pointing to the death of Jesus. Another, God sent his own son to be a sin offering. And if we think somehow that the son didn't want to do any of this, the Bible again, the son of God loves me and gave himself up for me. So, so what we have is the shocking work of love expressed by God to a humanity which is blurred and disfigured and the Father and the Son coming together 
to express the deepest point of God's love. God gives his son to save the world. Now, I grew up in church, and I'm glad I did. And I can't tell you all the times I heard behind the pulpit when the pastor said, you know, I have a son, and I have one or three or whatever, and it would be so hard for me to give up my son. And I can remember sitting there like a bad little boy and saying, oh, I've heard that a million times. You know, but I have a son. He is so great. I find it harder and harder as the years go by to think about God giving his son. I couldn't do it. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And there's only one stress point in this whole verse. John puts the responsibility for the listener. Believe or don't believe. That's it. Believe. Whoever believes or don't believe. That's important for two reasons, and this will close. One. Although it doesn't seem like it these days, Christianity is principally the language of substitution of God in the person of his son taking our place on the cross. Christianity is not primarily the language of morals. To believe that we gain God's love and acceptance by being good, that is the central lie of every other religion. God is not saying here, if I will love you if you love me enough. Ever. Ever. Before Christian or after Christian. And God is not presented here as a parent saying, you know, eat all your vegetables and turn down that music in a thousand different ways. He's not. What he's saying is, is I love this dark world. I love this world which by nature couldn't give a rip about me. A world which actively opposes me hour by hour. It's called sin. And here then John gives us this one-sided rescue that we didn't deserve and didn't want, though we really didn't need it, and yet he did it anyway and loved. He loves the world by substituting himself for its depravity and its penalty. Listen to this quote on the cross. Jesus was guilty of nothing. But God treated Jesus as if he had committed personally every sin ever committed by every person. Though in fact, he committed none of them. That's what substitution means. And this is important because the second and final reason that those who come into this place, whether here in the building or out there in that world, whether it's Christmas Eve or whether it's Sunday by Sunday or those who come in contact with you Christians. They ought to leave here and they ought to leave us with, with at least the opportunity to say, okay, I understand what they're all about. 
So a person becomes part of Christmas Eve at West Coasset Chapel or any other Sunday, and it's privileged to serve you, and we want you to come back. But just in case you don't come back, we want you to know that God so loved the world that he gave his son that in believing him, you have eternal life. Your guilt will be gone. Your rebellion dealt with. The issues which are a matter of, of life and death can be decisively, certainly settled. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And that means everyone has two destinies in this life. One is eternity with God. The other, eternity without him perishing, eternally suffering. John will say in another place here, believe in the Son, eternal life. If not, eternally perishing. And there's no person who stands outside that arrangement. No one has something like a gold card or a Disney fast pass where you can just skip past all this. We come into this world exactly the same, unbelieving and perishing, and God in his extravagant love and the gift of the Son, the birth, the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, he has come into this world who loves darkness and says, I love you despite what you are and despite what you are doing. How, how do I love you? Let me count the ways. One, I gave you my Son to deal with your sin. Believe, believe, and everything starts all over again to the good every day. And I have no doubt in my mind that God is looking down now all across the world into situations just like this one. He is looking down into this one, and he's adding to the number of children who will one day stand before his son redeemed. Forgiven, children of the living God. So there is good news. There is great love. And we have all been confronted with the opportunity to believe. And you see, the only tragedy would be, is not that we have to live through a pandemic, but that humanity would reject this love. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. Two things. To be loved by God is the greatest thing in the universe. Isn't it? To be loved by God is the greatest thing in the universe. Listen to Richard Baxter. Is it a small thing in your eyes to be loved by God? To be the child, the spouse, the love, the delight of the king of glory? Christian, believe this and think about it. You will be eternally embraced in the arms of the love which was from everlasting and will extend to everlasting. Of the love which brought the son of God's love from heaven to earth. From earth to the cross. From the cross to the grave, from the grave to glory, that love which was weary for you and hungry and tempted and scorned and scourged, buffeted, spat upon, crucified, pierced, which fasted, prayed, taught, healed, wept, sweat, bled, died. That love 
will eternally embrace you. Amen. Thank you for your attention. Let's bow as we prepare to sing Silent Night together. Father, the simplest thing to say is there is no love like your love. There is no love like your love. And I plead with you that people here and people that are watching, whenever they are watching, will understand it, will embrace it, and believe. For Jesus' sake, we ask these things. Amen.